0: Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. So Ella, uh, tell us a little bit about Fitbits. Tell us more about how you got started.
1: Right. Nice. So FitBakes started in uh, the end of 2017, so two and something years ago, in my kitchen table. I was still working full time and uh, that was started something like that. I was I was try- I was, always baked healthier bakes for myself because I'm, I'm a big cookies and cakes and this kind of stuff fan. But I always watched my weight and my and fitness. So uh, I always tried to do something healthier. So I, one day I decided to sell it and see how it would work if I did an online shop about it so we did it and uh i did it myself the first shop was all you know <laughs> free and done by you know by me manually and then i used to bake at nights and run to the post office to post the orders at um, uh, so uh it was like a, a second gig apart from my full-time job we used to run to the post office to post it at lunchtime and bake on the weekends and stuff and uh and well two and a half years later here we are
0: that's awesome. But I feel that there is there's a gap there that I need to I need to unpack a little bit because okay, so you're you're baking, um you know, what's now fit bakes, uh, the, which are kind of like their cakes, cookies that are lower in sugar and healthier, right? Just so that was clear. Yeah, right And uh, you say you you want to go sell them. Okay, cool. That makes sense. But so how, how does one kind of go about that? Because I imagine you need packaging, you need a brand and a logo, you need a platform to sell on. So how did all those things come together?
1: Right. So uh, the first, we did everything very gradually in the beginning. So it wasn't like, oh, let's have a designer or uh, let's go find a. Pack. It was. I, I. didn't want to spend any money until I knew there was a product that would sell. That there was like a proven that had an audience in the market. My background is tech. So in all these years that I worked in these uh, companies, was always in a tech background. So it was. It was always a product like you started as an online product, as focused on. To be an Instagram brand, to be an online brand. So that was our focus from the beginning. And uh, we only reached out to stores like Selfie Business Century. Like one year later, we spent the whole first year doing only online. So uh, packaging and, and, uh, and uh, shipping and all this kind of stuff. And logos. It was The first logo we had was done on Fiverr lit- for literally five quid. And it was horrible. So, but then <laughs> a few months later, I then decided I saw okay, so that works. So let's you know register the brand, get a, a, a proper designer to develop the logo. So it was all bit by bit. We had uh, four different kinds of packaging so far. The first one again was a little tub that I used to buy on Amazon, and then now we actually have you know it's a proper personalized printed fit bags. You know it's all. It's on another scale now, but it it wasn't, it wasn't like, I think people just sometimes are afraid to start business because, oh my God, I'm just going to have to invest this much money. And then what if, you know, and then if it doesn't work, well, not necessarily. You can start small and kind of feel your way through, which was what we did.
0: Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense. I'm a big advocate of an iterative process, essentially with business, which is, yeah, you start with the sort of smallest uh, way to kind of get it out there. And then if you get traction, then you sort of continue to reinvest um, in it. So, okay, so I, can, I can understand where the logo kind of comes from. That's Fiverr. Obviously the product you're making yourself in a kitchen. Who was the first audience? Who were the first people that bought?
1: We had uh, Slimming World and Weight Watchers members were massive in the, from the start, and uh, gym goers as well. That's all from Instagram. That was uh, the first audience all, all came from social media.
0: Okay. So, and this is like your own personal Instagram account. You're saying, hey, I, look what I just made. Um, I'm interested. Anyone would like to buy these?
1: No, it was more like a, from the beginning, we just, I've created a, a, an Instagram account for the brand. And I started posting about a workout, about uh, cooking healthier, about even some NPD that was doing, I actually showed it like, look, this didn't work. So I think people love to see when things go wrong. This is so like, <laughs> So like, Oh no, that didn't work at all. So <laughs> what should I try next? So people I started talking about it. There was a lot of interaction with the, with all the audiences. So, uh, and I think we got a very good run once we reached Slimming World and Weight Watchers ladies, because the members of these groups, of these slimming groups, they actually have meetings once a week, physical meetings, and they talk to each other. And whatever they like, they share with their friends, and they have Instagram accounts where they follow each other. So once we got into one, it just was a snowball. It, it just, I think that was one of the first big break.
0: So what was sort of the next uh, step? Obviously, uh, well, stage one is sort of you're doing it out of your kitchen. you kind of got this logo that you've kind of put together, uh, the Instagram audience. Uh, where did it go from there?
1: Oh, at a certain point, it wasn't possible for me to bake myself anymore. But I didn't want to spend money in, into an industrial kitchen yet. So we actually had four people baking in my kitchen. We had bakers hired here for quite a while. So my kitchen became like just like an industrial kitchen itself. It was a bakery night and day, like not night and day. But it started at eight in the morning until night. It's just like you know they were baking the whole day. And after that, then we got a, a few months later we got our own kitchen, our industrial kitchen. But that was very brief because the intention was to outsource it, to outsource the production to a large factory. Because I didn't want to be doing production myself for one reason. I'm not a manufacturing expert. My knowledge is in tech, finances, management. That's what I know how to do. I never dealt with manufacturing. So I, would, I was pretty sure I wasn't bit good at it. And let's leave for those that know how to do it. So I wanted to outsource it. But it took a while to manage outsource it. So we had an industrial kitchen in that, that period. But, uh, but after that, yeah, now it's, it's done in a large factory.
0: Got it. So you actually brought on some employees prior to kind of moving out into your own kitchen. And then you had this uh, temporary period of having an industrial kitchen before eventually kind of outsourcing to a manufacturing plant or something, facility, I guess, yeah. right? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and was it difficult to find somebody to, to produce it up to the standards that you were looking for?
1: Very difficult. We got turned down by, by three people, by three by three factories, for the reason the reason being... Your ingredients are too weird. How do you bake without sugar?
0: Okay, so they weren't, yeah, comfortable with... Because I, I, a lot of the, the bars I noticed have like a gram of sugar or less, whereas like the competitor lady ones usually have like 20 plus grams, right?
1: Yeah, so uh, so they were like, how? how? That's not going to work. How? That's, that, that doesn't work. So I was like, well, it's not a point of doesn't work. I'm already selling it. And oh, and there was one guy, there was one that said, oh, but I'm sorry. So you just like do this little thing on social media. So uh, you sell, you'll just sell online, so you're not really, you didn't really start to sell yet. you not on Amazon. <laughs> wow. So yeah, so there is, there is that. The thing to remember is about, uh, there is a lot of traditional people in the bakery industry. It's a very traditional industry. So it's been the same forever. So when you come with something new, some people don't really, can't really get their hair around it. And then we finally found the factory. that said, uh, "Yeah, yeah, we we we've done stuff like that. You know, we would love to have a the product there, and it sounds super exciting." So it's a completely different mindset. And then we said, "Okay, well, I think we found our guys."
0: This is crazy. Yeah. Sometimes you, you do have to kind of uh, yeah walk, walk around and ask a, a few different people to go. So, once having kind of the production handled, I assume you're kind of putting more into the marketing side of things, um, you know, spreading through different communities on Instagram. Were there other kind of marketing pivot points where you, you know, you broke into a new audience? Or obviously, I see the website has probably come a long way since the original. What were some of the marketing kind of steps?
1: That's when we started waiting for to get our products stocked, stocked in, uh, in in stores, in retailers. So uh, we got selfridges. We decided to have a plan of aiming for the retailers in uh, starting first because I again it wasn't our experience, so we didn't we didn't want to go and try Tesco at first because it's a bit you know a large step. So let's start start with a, let's say a smaller one where we can kind of feel how it works. So we, we decided to go with what we we call the, the opinion makers. So let's say we try at Selfridges, Whole Foods, Harrods, these guys. We got Selfridges. So once you're Selfridges, so you can then try your next step. So we tried supermarkets, but we we didn't have enough knowledge to. I felt we didn't have enough knowledge to talk to the to the big guys yet. To talk to a very very large multiple, you have a, you need a lot of money. Because you're gonna to have to make a big launch. There is a lot of things involved, and we, we weren't there yet. So that's when uh, we got. we wanted to get a next step, but not the big one yet. So we talked with Co op. So, and then we got to Co op Meet Counties. So we'll stop there now. Then there were a couple of other independent retailers and smaller ones, and also quite a few uh, online stores. So we are now stocked in other online stores, like similar to Big, big. So Let's say they have this, exactly the same audience and they sell very well. So we have Eat Lean or Gymstop or these guys. So they are like, you know, they might not be very big brands, but they play in the same audience that we do. So they sell very well. And then after that, after a year like, you know, learning and getting to, to know when, and and because you get a lot of stuff wrong as well, it's a different ballgame to play with big guys like that. Then we was like, okay, so I think now we may be ready. So we went for St.
0: Okay. So a lot I want to kind of dive into there. So just start with like a small retailer. In my mind, I'm thinking you just walk into the store, you say, hey, can I speak to the manager in charge of like shelving? And they say, yeah. And then you have this conversation. Is that, is that correct? I mean, how do you actually break into a store, even a small store?
1: If it's a small store, like an independent store, you know, the store on the corner of your of your street, you know, you're actually walking there and you, you have to talk to the manager. If, if the, uh, hopefully the manager will be the owner and then he usually is the guy that buys. You actually have to buy to the, to the person, to the buyer, basically. That's who you're aiming for. We didn't do much of that because, uh, to be honest, there's nothing against it. I would love to be, to be able to do something like that. It's just that uh, our product shelf life is bit limited. So we can't go to stores that are very small. We have to go to stores that sell a lot. But Selfridges, for example, which is a, a, was our first uh, retailer, we we sent an email. That was it. Sent an email. Uh, I sent to Hellas as well. I sent to a uh, Mason Amazon as well, and they turned, they, they never answer, but Selfridges answered. So there you go.
0: Okay, simple, right? Uh, it doesn't need to be overthought. You just you send someone an email and you see. Talk about some of the nuances between online versus retail uh, selling. I imagine there are different animals in terms of obviously like the commission that maybe one gets, um, the expectation in terms of like the number of products that need to be in the retail store. Uh, just there's got to be sort of a, some, some differences and pros and cons there.
1: It's a complete, complete different animal. It's a, we're still learning on the, on the big retail side. But our experience so far is shelf space on the shelf is very expensive, costs a lot of money for the retailer. They are not able to charge for that anymore uh, like they used to be. But uh, it's, it's cost. It's something that's sitting there. Like Imagine how much is worth a space on the shelf of Selfridges or Knoxville Street. That's a lot of money. It costs them a lot of money. So they need to occupy that with something that's going to to sell. So if you don't keep a certain rate of sale every week, they will get you out. They will ask you to leave. So uh, there are some spaces in the shelf that are more expensive, like in the chiller. If you're in the chiller, it's even more for them because it's restricted. You know. So this kind of stuff you have to, to, to understand. You have to understand that Also, you have to understand that it's not, it took us a while to understand that it's not only, oh, oh yeah, we sold to self, it is great. Yeah, no, now you have to get your products off their shelf. Now the clients have to buy, because if they don't buy, they're not going to order from you again. So we must be doing something right, because we've been there for over a year. So that's good. (laughs) But no, but it's very important. So uh, the thing is, that's why we wanted to try with smaller retailers before going for the big guys, because let's say if Selfridges wasn't, if there was a period of Selfridges, our sales and Selfridges decreased, then we started doing a couple of sampling sessions, you know, that, that month. That's fine. If it's one store, Selfridges, that's fine. Now trying to do that with 300 centuries possible. So you have to learn before, you know, before you can run, run to
0: yeah, walk. Yeah, the, the crawl before the walk, walk before the run. And so that's why, yeah, being in the smaller store allows you to get your feet wet before you're yeah, approaching like a larger store with a larger order. And, and also I... I imagine maybe the larger stores want to see some proof from the smaller stores about how successful it's been selling, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the fact that you, you are in a store and you have, you have data to show the big guys, uh, and uh, funny enough, that's where the online also helps the retail because if you have online data to show, like, look, we sell over 20,000 packs of cake per month online. Here it is. So, well, that's when the retail, like, I can bring additional, uh, That's sort of thing. The retailers care a lot. The most important for retailers is your rate of sales and if you're bringing additional sales to them. Like, are you bringing to the store someone that didn't, want, didn't usually shop here? You? you know, that is the major value of a brand.
0: How do they know?
1: Because of Nectar Card and this kind of stuff.
0: Ah, like like the card that somebody pays with, they can say, hey, is this card in the system is one we've used before? Something like that?
1: Uh, the loyalty card.
0: Ah, uh, the loyalty card. Okay.
1: So if you're bringing people outside the loyalty cards, that's very valuable for them. And that's why we, we, we kind of showed Sandsbury's like saying like, look, we have brought these people that never bought food, that Never. We actually had it when we launched there. We actually did a massive promotion on Instagram saying, you know, the cakes you buy online, you can now buy in your local Sainsbury's. So we drove our clients to their stores.
0: Yeah. You would make more money to have them sell online, but you'll get better credibility with the store if they actually go to the store in a sense. So the long term.
1: Funny enough, it's not that much more money online. People really always think it is, but it's, it's, it is a little bit, but it's not that much because online, what people have to remember is that, let's say, people usually buy from us a pack of 10 cakes. So 10 cakes, but there is shipping, and they have free shipping. So the shipping of that shipping, it's a lot of your margin. So the margin of supermarkets that we have, we York today, is just a little bit below online. It's not the good, the only, the good advantage of selling online is that you get paid in advance
0: yeah that's true okay it's
1: yeah. take a long time to pay so yeah
0: sure and i guess yeah you get to maybe build up uh an audience or followers or something like that's a little more uh, i guess of your own so to speak but are there any sort of certifications that are required to sell a food product in a country i mean do you have to kind of go and tell us a little bit about that
1: If you want to just sell, let's say to online or to sell to your local stores, or you know, or even to selfridges, they only require a a certification from your council. So if you want to open a brand, if you want to start baking, you know, or doing anything in your kitchen, uh, you call the council first. You 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 go online and you apply online, uh, and the council sends somebody over to check on your kitchen to see if your hygiene procedures are also there's a lot of procedures you have to follow about uh hygiene and what happens if a product goes wrong how do you record the product there is a lot of stuff to go so that's but that's the council certification that's why you see those uh labels on on uh, on some restaurants on some places windows that say a five star hygiene rates if you have seen it that that's what it is that's a council so that's that's to sell to stores the smaller stores when you go to sell to a multiple like multiple being the big supermarket so uh Sensbury's, Tesco and these guys, they required something called salsa or BR, BR, BRC, which are massive certificates that you know that, that you you wouldn't be able to get a certificate like that in your home kitchen. yeah it's not allowed. You have to have either a factory or a proper industrial kitchen and everything it's it's audited. it's it's a big, it's a big process, yeah.
0: Got it. Interesting. Let's talk a little bit about COVID. Unfortunately, but I am interested because obviously you have a production facility, and um, how has or has not COVID kind of affected you know your business?
1: Right. So that was like a, a roller coaster <laughs> couple of months for everybody, and uh, yeah. So in the first moment, we got a couple of hits, like uh, Selfridges closed, for example, and all the other all stores closed as well supermarkets, even though uh, people were buying a lot of stuff and stockpiling and stuff right in the beginning, like Sandwich, for example, people were like, you couldn't, was, everybody was buying, everything was sold out. Unfortunately, the food to go area, if anybody paid attention to that, nobody was buying that because you're not going anywhere, so why would you buy the food to go? So <laughs> that didn't sell at all. If you look at chillers and then food to go in confectionery, confection area, like, you know, that area, people would buy, like they say, chocolates in the back of the store, but not the small ones in the front. So, so we we were in the front so we were this kind of product so we, we got a lot of decrease in sales in retailers which was a big hit we had stock going off we had uh, uh, in supermarkets in Sainsbury's warehouses because it's it's cake so it has a limited shelf life so we had a lot of issues with that and uh, so it was a, was a bit, a, bit of, a big hit that was a big hit on the positive side the online sales absolutely rocketed and we invested on that. So that's the advantage of, you know, the omni-channel that we, you are, you're not putting all your everything in the same basket. So uh, we, we kind of like compensated for the supermarkets with the online. And uh, with another hit, we had another big hit, which was the, the manufacturing side. So on the manufacturing side, our factory produces for other two very large coffee shop chains in the country. Take the biggest ones.
0: Okay, I have, in my head, I'm thinking. (laughs) I won't say it out loud, but I have some
1: ideas. (laughs) Two of those. those, uh, Okay, uh, so basically, this factory produces for these two guys and us, like these two giants and us tiny, so compared to them. So when uh, COVID hit, it didn't make any sense to keep the factory open just to produce for Fitbits, because it was a bit of, you know, it's, it, you have fixed costs on keeping a factory open. You, you can't do that if you're not using all the facilities. So actually we thought we were going to be left with no product to sell. So we had to actually negotiate costs and, you know, and, and pay the whole facility to keep it open. And our costs were actually double During two months, we had doubled the cost. So we were literally selling with almost no margin just to keep turning and to keep the clients coming. But it was actually the best decision. We were in doubt. We were like, should we shut down? Should we keep going, working for free? What should we do? You know, what should we do? So uh, we actually took the right decision. Now we see we took absolutely the right decision. We had two of our biggest selling months ever in the last two months. It was a record sales, absolute, like no comparison with any other period. And uh, we had a lot of issues with deliveries and Royal Mayo and this, of course, because everybody was You loading. Royal Mayo was like, a dream come true they were amazing but of course that also sometimes they they got delays you know it's fine but the good news of all that is that because we have an average of 40 percent customer returning online those clients that bought during covid that we didn't make it, make any profit from we are now expecting to keep them and keep going
0: yeah, the long-term client value now from having gotten them is, is going to hopefully you know will pay off to, to cover those months where yeah, it wasn't that good. But it seems like, yeah, you definitely made the right call. Tough call, though. So what's next for FitBakes? What are some of the next kind of milestones you guys are looking to achieve?
1: Ooh, so we have some very, very cool NPD coming up. So new product development is going full on. We have uh, three products being tested. So there will be low-sugar, high-protein, yummy things, yummy treats is different than cakes now. We're also in talks with a couple of uh, other large supermarkets to expand our presence, let's say, because we think that everybody likes cake. There is no other protein cake in the market. I think especially after lockdown, people might want to, you know, want to eat healthier because there is a lot of more conscience about that. Funny enough. So uh, it's always, you know, let's make the world healthier with cakes. And uh we are now using the phrase because you can now have your cake and eat it.
0: Ah, I like that one. That is very good. Some, <laughs> I did so when somebody came up with that, they were like, this is genius. <laughs> awesome. So, well, last question, uh, you know, is how we solve podcasts. Our audience loves to solve problems. Are there any problems that you have that maybe somebody out there might be able to solve? Like, uh, you know, business-related usually.
1: Oh, I'm sure they are. I'm sure there are. I mean, like, Oh, God, yeah. How do you make cakes uh, last like a year? <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. how, to, how to increase the shelf life of cakes. All yeah. right, we'll put that yeah. one down there. <laughs> I
1: really didn't manage to do it, but I want to, you know, find, you know, make like, that. Yeah, that's, that's what really make my life a lot easier. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, yeah, shelf life is another uh, very tricky aspect of this whole thing. Well, thank you so much, Ella, for coming on and talking about FitBakes, and I, I learned a lot uh, about the food food based industry. And maybe we'll try to make some some cakes of my own. to See how I do. <laughs> <laughs> for people that want to find out more about you, get in touch. How should they do so?
1: Well, our website, FitBakes.co.uk. If you want, to, I'm also on LinkedIn. So Ella Rowen Presses. If you search for FitBakes, you can go from there as well. Instagram, FitBakes.co.uk. Twitter, it's all uh, all the same. So yeah. Well,
0: there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales
1: development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's paskdriv
0: Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.